That the church we have gathered once again under the umbrella of God's grace. And it is a joy to be here with God's people as we both celebrate, remember, and champion the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I contend this morning, church, that there is no better news than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you have been in church any amount of time, you have heard the word gospel. You've heard the word gospel. And in fact, all of the Bible centers around this one word, gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is not strange for one who is looking in from the outside to wonder, why do they call it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do they call the gospel of Jesus Christ good news? After all, church, what is so good about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we call it good news? You see, at the core of the gospel is a bloody Savior who was handed over to Roman soldiers to be beaten and tortured and whipped. Whipped that tore the flesh off his bones. Isaiah illustrates it this way. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. You see, church, Christ was beaten to a point where he was unrecognizable as a human being. Why do we call it good news? Church, so many of our brothers, and sisters have been persecuted down through history, talked about, mocked, and marginalized. And so many believers have been tortured, beaten, and eaten by lions and burned alive for trusting, holding on to, beholding with all their might what we remember and celebrate every Sunday, the death of our Savior. Church, why do we call it good news? This morning, this Mother's Day, I want to fix the sermonic spotlight, if you will, and call your attention to a particular verse, a verse that I believe encapsulates the question today, why is the gospel of Jesus Christ good news? Now, time will fail to truly unpack this morning all the reasons that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. But I do want to focus in on the centrality of the gospel. I do want to focus in on the nucleus, if you will, and examine why we call the gospel of Jesus Christ good news. In Galatians 3.13, it reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I want to focus on three simple yet profound points this morning. The Christ, the curse, in the cross. I'm going to say that again. I want to make sure everyone reaches our destination safe and sound. So buckle in. The Christ the curse in the cross. 
Church, this morning we start with the Christ. Church, if we will have any lasting appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we remind ourselves that Christ alone redeems us. That Christ alone redeems us. Church, I'd like to call your attention to the first part of the verse. Christ redeems us. It is critical to point out here that there is no other person or persons accompanied with Christ in this phrase, Christ redeems us. Notice that Paul doesn't say Christ plus our good works or Christ plus Bible study or Christ plus who you know or Christ plus how you dress or Christ plus your church attendance. No, he singles Christ out. Christ stands alone in redeeming us. Christ alone by himself redeems his church. Understand, Jesus stands in a category, in a class, in an arena, all by himself. Now, I know some of us in this room think we stand in a category, in an arena, all by ourselves because we dress so nice this morning. But the reality is, is Christ alone stands in the arena, in category, all by himself. Indeed, church, this is why Paul is writing this letter to the church of Galatia. They had added others in things in the category, arena, and class of Christ. They had exalted. They had exhorted other things. They had behold other things in the same arena and category of Christ when it came to our redemption. You see, church, Christ was not accompanied with a team. He didn't mirror the plan of the Avengers. He didn't need Hawk and Iron Man and Captain America, although Iron Man and Captain America, they're kind of into it right now. But anyways, (laughs) he didn't mirror what the Avengers did. They were in need of one another. Christ did not call on anyone, past, present, or future, to help him. You see, church, we must understand that there is no Savior like Christ. And we often find ourselves, church, wondering and searching for someone to save us from our situation, our frustration, and our complication. Can we be honest this morning? As human beings, we explore and try to figure out and navigate the issues of our lives. We are in search for a superhero. I know even as I watch... uh, the Marvel's movies, my heart is kind of in, in, in a sense of eye, in a sense of worship, as I see superheroes do what superheroes do, save. And we often find ourselves looking and searching for a superhero that will rescue us from our dilemma. And we begin to depend on these things. For an example, like comfort food. I mean, that ice cream is very appealing when you're going through something. It's nothing like a nice bowl of ice cream, whatever flavor you can think of. You go to 31 flavors. I want all 31 I need for each day of the month. This is going to be a long one. We look to food as a relief, as an outlet, as a crutch to satisfy us. Not only that, church, we begin to depend on our husbands and our wives and our girlfriends and our boyfriends. We begin to put unrealistic expectations on people around us to supply our happiness. 
We form a circle of people around us that will make us happy. And the moment they do not make us happy, we're done with them. So what we find ourselves doing, the rhythm of our life, is we hop to one husband to the next and one wife to the next and one girlfriend to the next and one boyfriend to the next because we are looking for them to make us happy. But the reality is they could never replace the everlasting God who we are made for. We are not made for creation. We are made for a creator. And somehow we buy into the lie that they are able to save us. And in our minds and hearts, they become our ultimate joy. And if we can be honest this morning, we know how it is when we depend on people. Some days they're happy, some days they're not. Some days they like you, some days they don't. Some days your boss is patting you on the back, the other day he's not. And when we build our identity on that, we find our lives up and down, up and down, and we are restless. The moment we find out that they are not Superman and they are not Superwoman, we want to leave them for another false god we think will save us. What about looking to ourselves, church? Oftentimes we fall into the deception that I myself can pull myself up by my bootstraps and get my life together. But you are going to be in for a sad reality when you find out who you really are. Amen? See, one person said that we judge people by what they do, but we judge ourselves by our intent. So we are more inclined to give grace to ourselves and not to others. And when we go on this journey saying, if I can just find out who I am, we find out that even self cannot save us. And it often leads us to depression and inner turmoil. And somehow, we wake up to a rude awakening that the only way that we can be delivered is not through ourselves, but through Jesus Christ. What else do we run to, church? We run to TV and baseball and decorating and so many other good things that make Horrible saviors. Let me say that again. So many good things that make horrible saviors. These things are good, but when they are in our lives to function as God, they are bad. These things cannot and will not replace our need for God. Church, when we look to anyone or anything outside of Christ as Savior, we set ourselves up for major disappointment. And all of these voices beckons to us to come. And that they will make us happy. Self says, come to me. I will make you happy. And ice cream and food and all of these other leisures and enjoyments cry out to our hearts that they will make us happy. Hollering and scratching and clawing and screaming at the door of our souls for our affection. However, there is only one voice that is true and it is Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me. All who labor in our heavy laden and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he goes on to say in the book of John, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me 
shall never thirst. This is amazing, church, that Jesus Christ, not only does he promise to save us, but to satisfy us. What greater Savior is there in the entire universe than Jesus Christ who beckons us to come to him? You see, Christ didn't hire anyone to accomplish our redemption. There was no substitute outside of him. He didn't send a mere angel to accomplish the task set before him. There was none suitable enough to accomplish the monumental task of redeeming mankind. In fact, all had failed. Remember the Old Testament. The blood of bulls and goats had failed. If you remember Moses, Moses was a great man of God. God used Moses in a mighty way. We often hear about the spreading of the the, the parting of the Red Sea and, and Moses coming down from the mountain, reflecting the glory of God. Moses was a great man of God, but he failed. If you go further on, we run into King David. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. How many of your friends and family, after hanging around you for a couple hours, would say, this is a man and a woman after God's own heart? They said that he was a man after God's own heart. And when all of Israel lacked faith in the Lord their God, David stood up against Goliath and said that God will deliver us. David was a mighty man of God, but David failed. And we go over to the New Testament, Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, most of the epistles. He was a great man of God as well. He was willing to give up all things in order to see the gospel preached. In fact, he considered everything waste in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. And not to throw in all of the persecution and pain and and turmoil he went through for the sake of Jesus Christ. Paul was a mighty man, but he failed. Nothing less then the person in work of Jesus Christ could save us. He had to do it himself. God had to become flesh to redeem us. Listen to Paul. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed and crucified. Church, I contend this morning that it is utter foolishness to trust in anyone or anything to redeem you. Only Jesus, who is God from God and light from light, the everlasting Lamb of God, can redeem us. Well, church, if we would have any lasting appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must not only Remember that Jesus is a great Savior. But church, we must also remember we are great sinners. We must not only remember that Jesus is a great Savior, but church, we are great sinners. We have the Christ, but in the end we have the curse. And there it is right there in the next half of the verse. From the curse of the law. Church, Christ had to redeem us from the curse of the law. What does it mean to be cursed under the law? There are four or five Greek words that could be translated curse. All have basically the same meaning. They mean something that is despised, something that is devoted to 
destruction, something that is doomed. That is what it means to be cursed. To be cursed by God means that you are set to be doomed or destructive. Church, that was our destiny. Because of our position with God, because of our sin, we were set for destruction. We were despised by God. Why? The law requires nothing short of perfection. Understand that God's grading scale is different from academia. You can get a 60% and pass a class in academia. It's not too bad. Some schools require a 70% to pass. On God's grading scale, a 99.999% is still considered failing. Now, I know some of you guys like lighting up decks. I'm sure there's some extra credit. There's no extra credit. There's no negotiating with God. There's no bargaining with him. There's no underhand. There's no gambling. There's nothing that we can do. Anything short of perfection is an F in the school of God. And not only do we have to have 100%, we must maintain 100% forever. Forever. For many of us who are in school like myself, uh, we just finished up finals and finish up a couple classes and you're able to exhale and kind of able to breathe and go home and spend time with my family and relax. When it comes to the law, there is no break. There is no pause. There is no, okay, I can do a little sin in this weekend. No. Zero. We must maintain 100%. The law is a weight we never get to put down because we are always required to keep it each and every day. How are you doing in God's school, church? If we will answer these questions correctly, lest we think we are passing with 100%, we must look at two critical categories. The first one is, have you loved the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul at all times? And the second one is this, have you loved your neighbor as yourself? I want us to think deeply about these two questions. In regards to our neighbor, think about our world. People all across this globe are struggling with, with hunger and AIDS and, and homelessness. How we love the poor, church. And think about our country, how we have arrogantly turned to our own understanding. We desire our own way, and we glory in our own sin, do we not? As we turn the news on, what do we see? A nation that is opposed to the living God. What about this? Think about fathers who are walking out on their children and the dramatic effect of it. Fathers turning their backs on their children for their own selfish pursuits. And what about the countless number of abortions in this nation alone, destroying babies in the womb? And think about the countless number of children in this room alone struggling with low self-esteem and insecurities. In the toughest category, church, think about your own sin, your own selfishness, your own bondage, and your own disobedience. We are marked by sin from the inside out. 
We have all been hurt by sin and have hurt others with our sin. Let me say that again. We have all been hurt by sin and we have hurt others with our sin. We have no righteousness of our own. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is accountable for it all, according to James. James says you keep everything and you drop one piece, you're done for. And the Bible says that's all of us. If we depend on the law for righteousness, it is in vain. It is as if you depended on water to uphold you. It will both fail you and destroy you. It is the same with trusting in the law. It will both fail you and destroy you. There is no hope for sinners in the law. Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And Paul goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And furthermore, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And to further his point, he begins to evaluate our relationship with God. Because not only, church, have we failed to love one another the way that God has called us to, but we also failed in our relationship towards the Lord. Dr. John Piper sums this up really well. He says, what makes sin sin is not first that it hurts people, but that it blasphemes God. And this is the ultimate evil and the ultimate outrage in the universe. The glory of God is not honored. The holiness of God is not reverenced. The greatness of God is not admired. The power of God is not praised. The truth of God is not sought. The wisdom of God is not esteemed. The beauty of God is not treasured. The goodness of God is not savior. And the faithfulness of God is not trusted. The promises of God are not relied upon. The commandments of God are not obeyed. The justice of God is not respected. The wrath of God is not feared. The grace of God is not cherished. And the presence of God is not prized. And the person of God is not loved. This is the great sin of the universe. The infinite, all-glorious creator of the universe, by whom and for whom all things exist, who holds every person, life, and being at every moment is disregarded, disbelieved, disobeyed and dishonored by everyone in the entire universe. Church, do you feel the weight of the law? Do you feel the weight of your failures? The law is made so that we are exposed, so that we might be broken. For that is our rightful position before a holy God is to be broken. And too often we treat our sin as if it was nothing. But as we read the word of God, all who fall short is, are deserving of the wrath of God. And if we could be honest, we feel and know our human depravity. Sin leaves us guilty before a holy God and defiles us. 
We are not clean. We are not pure. We have nothing to bargain with before a holy God that would acquit us. We cannot appeal to the law, for it would only convict us. There is nothing in this world that scientists have researched that could remove the curse of the law. Archaeologists have not discovered anything that could remove the curse of the law. There is no lawyer that can compose a case clever enough to free us from the curse of the law. We have not discovered anything within ourselves that would liberate us from the curse of the law. And here is our great dilemma, church. At the end of all human effort is this one thing. We are cursed, doomed, and headed to destruction. That is the human dilemma. That I have nothing to offer. I come empty-handed. So, church, what shall we do? Where shall we run? And who will save us? Church nestled and cradled in a manger in a town called Bethlehem was the answer to the human dilemma. It was Jesus, the God-man, born of a woman under the law. John said he was the Word made flesh and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The world, thank God for Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb. And he takes away our sins. He was sent to remove our guilt and the stain of sin. He came to liberate and redeem us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? How did he liberate us? Brothers and sisters, if you will, have any lasting appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ, We must know the heartbeat of it. The heartbeat of the gospel is the death of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon puts it this way. The heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. And this brings us to our last point. We have the Christ. We have our dilemma, which is the curse. But thanks be to God, we have the cross. Yes, church, here's the heartbeat of the gospel. Jesus Christ in the rest of the verse. He says this, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Notice this. Paul says, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, you have to understand, in the Old Testament, when a person was executed, it was usually by stoning. So if they break the law, they would take them out and they would stone that individual. And after stoning that individual, they would take that individual and they would hang them on the tree as a symbol of divine rejection. So this individual who has broke the law is now hanging on a tree in public display so that everyone would know that this person has been rejected by God. I ask you then, why is Jesus hanging on the cross? Why is he being rejected by God? He put on human flesh. He came into the world. He subjects himself to the law. He obeyed every one of his father's commands. There was no sin found in him. Why was he hanging on the tree? 
Church, he was making a way for you and I. He identified himself with us. He put, he put himself in our shoes. He put himself in our place. And he identified himself with sinners. He put himself in the place of destruction. For our sake, he made him to be sin. I wonder if we can pause for a moment and just dwell on that. That for our sake, God made him to be sin. This is astonishing. That the creator of the universe, the one who holds us together, is being treated like a sinner. Is being treated like a lawbreaker. Christ completely passes in God's school with 100% and he's treated as if those who have failed the class. This is astonishing. Treated like a thief in our idolatry. God made him to be sin. For what purpose? For what end? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's good news, church. Sinners being called righteous? What is this? God treating us better than we should? This is good news. He was despised so that we might be adored. He was rejected, so that I might be and you might be accepted. And he was crushed, so that we might be redeemed. Peter puts it this way, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. God was doing something on the cross. In great love, the Father was removing our guilt, the crimson stain, and satisfying his wrath by laying our sins on him. And he pays the wages of sin with his own blood. He receives the punishment due to you and I. And on that cross, he was experiencing the wrath of his father. He was disarming the rulers and authorities. That's right. Christ triumphed over Satan in the world and over death on the cross. And the Bible puts it this way. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. His father had rejected him, crushed him for you and I. There was no other way, church. Jesus said, my father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. As he fell to his face. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Through Jesus, God removes the curse of the law. Church, this is why we rejoice in this truth. Scripture says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who should separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no better news. Nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of God. And this is why we sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is why we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. We can never stop singing enough about God's grace to us through the gospel. So church, we are called to live a life pleasing to God in response to this. You see, church, you have been set free. You have been liberated from the sin and the world and Satan. God has not only died for your sin, but he has empowered you now to live a fruitful life. He has now called us to go preach this good news. There is no better news for our mothers and our brothers and our sisters and our cousins and our friends and our coworkers than this news, that God has shown grace to sinners. So I encourage you, church, do not keep this news to yourself. Go and share it with those around you. And perhaps there are those in this room that have yet to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to see a prayer counselor afterwards and say, what does it mean? What does it look like for me, a sinner, to be loved by God? Church, we have been justified by God apart from the law. Understand that this is all past tense. We once stood in judgment. We once stood in condemnation. We were dead in our transgressions and sin, and we were hopeless. But God was rich in mercy. He rescued us from our dilemma. Beginning of my sermon, I asked the question, why do we call the gospel of Jesus Christ good news? It is for this reason. It is finished. Amen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are eternally grateful for the good news, the gospel that says that the God-man came into the world, lived a perfect life, died a death, rose again from the dead, is coming back for all those who trust in him, has counseled all of our sin debt, paid it all in full, has forgiven all our sins. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are now your children. I pray that that would rest upon your church. 
and that we will gaze upon it often. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.